0: Let you be seated. Uh, it's good to be here in the evening with my uh, merged family. If you guys like us to follow Actual Bible Revelation chapter 3, uh, we're going to get to that in... Good job, man. Oh, <laughs> You're doing amazing, man. Thanks for making my life better tonight. I really appreciate it. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, we're get there in just a second. Um, the only thing, a couple things before we get going, after this is over, um, we do have our teaching resources there at the back um, on a big table there audio and video and USBs. Um, the reason we carry that wireless is because we make money from it. And the reason we do that is because we live with a conviction that we're not simply called to go to heaven when we die. We're called to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. And so what we do is we use the profit from that creative fund that helps us do our missions in the world.
1: I mean, the, the only thing I would ask is that if you don't want anything, God bless you. I'll see you next year when I come by, okay? If you, if you know, okay, but before I leave tonight, I'm going to grab something. If you would come by in the first 10 minutes, that would be awesome. The reason is because is we've got to pack it up and take it to the next place I'm speaking. And I know that this church has a real chatting afterwards culture, right? <laughs> And, and so the order, and I like that, I a a, sign a healthy church, but the order of things after this tonight is buy first and chat second. That, that, would, just, that would just be amazing. Th- thanks for coming out tonight. I get to open the Bible. Uh, anytime I do that, I want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central, and scriptures to get bigger and smaller. I really appreciate you letting me be a part of your faith journey. And a special thank you to everybody that came out tonight who's over 40. Um, if you're over 40, you come to the evening meeting. It really takes an extra act of faith to do things outside if you know it's going to go past seven. I I get it. I, 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 I get it. But, but we won't, won't go past 7, seven tonight, tonight which, is which is really, really, really good. So you're safe, right? But I know, I know you would have questioned it. I get it. it. I'm 47. We, we don't do things outside after 7. After it's ridiculous. ridiculous. And occasionally I'll get asked after a Sunday night meeting, hey, you want to go to a movie or something?
0: I'm like, what time does it start? You're like 845. I'm like, what am I, animal? Are you serious? Come on, no way. No way, so, so, so I promise you I'll your time, um, but I really am burdened about what I'm going to speak tonight, and I mean that in a good way, like, like I'm carrying weight for this, I think we've got to get this right. Um, let, me, uh, let me start by
1: telling a story
0: um, about a history book i read, so I was reading this history book called The Patient Furman of the Early Church by Alan Kreider, he's a historian, they got interested in how did the church grow in the first 300 years? He wasn't interested after that, like, because after that, a guy named Constantine came to Christ, and then it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. So by the 500s, you were kind of not a good Roman citizen if you weren't a Christian, right? But in the first 300 years, it was illegal. And so, so he got interested in, how did the church change the world? And, and he asked two questions. One, how did the influence of Christ change the world and make it better? right? And, and two, how did it circumvent that, despite the fact that it was illegal? And then three, he, he asked it in this way, and I think every Christian should be willing to ask this. And if you're not willing to ask it, that's okay. There's no vacancy in the Trinity for me. But I think if we're not, if, if we're not at least willing to ask this question, there's a weakness in our faith that, that, that will eventually show itself. And that is this. If the whole world converted to how I'm thinking about God, would the world be better? And if, and if the answer is no, then there's a problem with our faith. Because any faith that if the whole world tomorrow converted to how that faith is thinking about God, if the world is not better, then there's a problem. And, and I, I think Creator makes this incredible case. So this, by the way, if you're into history reading, I'm John Dixon in his books, Bully and Saints, which is brilliant. Um, They Um, they make make the case case that that because because of the the work of the Spirit of Christ, it's not that Christians play the masterpiece that Jesus wrote well. It's just that over the course of time, despite messing it up some and playing it correctly some, that that the, the, the work of the Spirit of Christ has made the world a better place. And I would even go further to say, if we all just chose to live how Jesus saw the world, how Jesus saw God, and how Jesus applied scripture, the world would definitely be a better place. And and he was looking at the first 300 years, and I wanna, I wanna just put some perspective on this because a lack of perspective is the enemy of hope, okay? When, when, when Christians say, oh, can you believe how bad this world is? Can you believe just this world's so bad? Compared to when? Like, go read a history book, seriously. Let me just give you, let me just a couple things that were not illegal in the Roman Empire murder. It was not illegal to kill someone in the Roman Empire if they were a lower class than you. Full birth abortion was co- not just legal, was common and expected in the Roman Empire. Let me let me define that. You have a healthy child, you take them by their feet and you bash their head against a rock. Or you take the baby and just put it on the rubbish heap. It was called exposure. Murder was not illegal. Full birth abortion was not illegal. Bestiality was not only not illegal, it was legal and encouraged as a public act of worship to the goat god Pan and Caesarea Philippi. So, so when people say, oh man, you believe how bad this world's so bad. This is the best the world's ever been. And it's precisely because of the work of the Spirit of Christ in the world that it is. Like seriously, would you rather be a woman today or 1950? Come on. Or 1850. Is God done redeeming women's rights? No, but it surely is better. Would you rather be black today or 1950 or 1850? Is God done redeeming race relations? No, but it's certainly better. Would you rather go to the dentist today or 1950 <laughs> or 1850? Like nothing's worse. Yeah, n- number one selling cough medicine in 1900, and this is true, was liquid heroin. I know. It was legal and effective. <laughs> I got to be honest. It worked. It worked. It worked. It worked. Oh, look, Billy's not coughing anymore. <laughs> Matter of fact, Billy's not doing anything anymore. <laughs> the, world's, the, the world's just better. Everything's better. Everything's better than 100 years ago. Everything, a- except pollution. Pollution's not better. And that, but that, that's just because we invented the internal combustion engine, and um, it solved most of world hunger. <laughs> so it solved a problem and then created one, right? Um, and to be fair, divorce rates. We're getting divorced more often but that's just because medicine's so good, we're living longer. In, in Jesus's day, they died at 32. So till death do us part was more doable. <laughs> now you gotta live with them to 84. It's a whole thing. Be more careful with who you choose. But here's the thing, right? <laughs> Alan Creeter t- talks about how if you wanna dumb it down to the one thing that Christ used to change the world for the better was, was the table. He says the primary symbol of the church in the first 300 years should never have been a cross and nor was it a cross. The Roman, a cross was a Roman execution stick. The, the primary symbol of, of the church for the first 300 years and he's, his thesis is we should revive it is the table. The, the table was what changed the world. The table was the, the thing that said, no, 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 wait a minute. Um, baby girls are not less valuable than baby boys. You can't just kill them. Um, hey, oh, oh, wait a minute, you can't, because there's one indwelling Christ Um, one Christ holding the whole thing together. You can't treat women worse than men. You can't treat blacks worse than whites. You can't treat the poor worse than the rich. There's one God holding the whole thing together. The the, the table changed the world because this is gonna be, it should be obvious, but if it's not, here we go, ready? Um, Christianity in the first 300 years was not a public religion. You didn't have meetings like this. There was no like evangelism in the sense of have big meetings and altar calls and right. It was illegal. You couldn't, you, you couldn't do that. So how did they change the world? Well, in, in the first 300 years, they were a private society, not, not a public religion. And they were the only private society in all of Rome that allowed women. Well, if you're the only private society that allows half of the population, you're gonna grow. That's first. Second, they were the only one without a membership fee. So so the rich paid the price for the poor. The third reason, he said, was table fellowship. Here's what set Christianity apart. Whether you were rich, whether you were poor, whether you were class one or class nine. The Romans had a nine-layered class system. One or nine, you eat at the same table. Two to eight, ate at the same table. The, 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 The fourth reason, he said, and this is, I never knew what this was. I'd read it in the Bible, but I didn't know what it was. I just knew I was glad we didn't do it. Was, he said, was the holy kiss of Peace. You know, I don't even remember where it is, but it's in the Bible. Paul says, greet each other with a holy k- kiss. I'm so glad we don't do that, right? Like, I don't want you kissing me. That's to say, like, keep your kissing somewhere else. But, 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 what, but what that was was, is after the meal, the class ones would kiss the class nines. The class twos would kiss kiss the class eights. In other words, this isn't just table. This isn't just, sir, this is, we actually touch people that are less class than us because we affirm that there's one Christ holding the whole thing That's what changed the world was the technology of the table. And so I wanna talk to you about that tonight. I wanna do a bit of a Bible lesson about this because I think if, if the anthropologists are right, that means in the next three years, there's gonna be all manner of broken story coming around us. And if we don't get this right, if we don't get this right, we're gonna waste this opportunity because the table is the technology for what is all good about what Christianity could be to this world. Let, let me read this. This is from Revelation chapter three, verse 20. This is Jesus. Here I am. Sorry. Oh, there we go. Here I am. A professional would have had his, uh, his uh, remote control ready. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, anyone, Anyone, Republican, Democrat, labor, liberal, male, female, high class, low class, rich, poor. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and sort out all of his political opinions. Nope. I'll come in and set him straight on all of his opinions about every social issue on earth. No, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. What a revolutionary concept that the Caesar, when this was written, was a guy named Domitian. Domitian doesn't stand at the door and knock and wait for you to open. Jesus, the the God Jesus revealed was, I I will be passionate enough to pursue you, but gracious enough to let you choose. I'll knock. It's up to you whether you let me in. And by the way, when I get in, I don't want to fix everything. I don't want to sort everything. Think about the people who are most off-putting in your life. They're the ones who know everything there is to know, and they know everything about you, and they know just how to fix your life. Those people are off-putting, right? And Jesus is like, no, I don't want to do it. I just want to get to know you. I just, I just want to eat. See, people go, I just don't know what this generation wants these days. What's up with these people? I don't know what they want. What do you mean you don't know what they want? They want what everybody wants, and they want what everybody for all time has wanted, and that is intimacy, Now, now we got to define what intimacy is. Intimacy is two things at the exact same time. It's to be fully known and to be fully accepted all simultaneously. If you don't have both those things at once, you don't have intimacy. A lot of people are fully known, and because they're fully known, uh, they're not accepted. (laughs) It's like, oh boy, (laughs) I know too much about you. (laughs) You're not accepted. And, And then there's a lot of people who are fully accepted But because they're fully accepted, the only reason is because they're not fully known. They're hiding something. Intimacy is being fully known and fully accepted at the same time. And Christianity really nailed this in the first 300s. And, And I promise you, we need to revive this. The table was the technology by which you could accept someone without affirming everything about them. It was the technology that says, okay... You're a Democrat, I'm a Republican, but you know what? You are welcome at my table because I can accept you without necessarily affirming everything about you, right? And all all of that's perspective as well. Somebody called me the other day from Australia and they asked me about a friend of mine in America. And they were thinking about having this friend of mine in America in to speak. And their question was hilarious to me. Their question was, hey, are you friends with this guy? And I'm like, yeah, good friends. They're like, is he left? And I said, "What?" Well, I, I said, I don't know what you mean. Like, what, what do you, what do you, you know what I mean? Is he left? And I said, I don't know what you mean. He goes, yes, you do. Is he left? I said, man, you're left. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you woke up tomorrow in Mississippi, you're left. He said, I most certainly am not. I said, okay, are you for everybody in the, in, over the age of 18 being able to buy automatic weapons? Well, no. I said, so you want less guns? He said, yeah. I said, then you're left. Right? And are you for everybody paying their own way for health care? Are you for a socially safety netted health care system that that allows people to have affordable health care? No, no, that one. I said, then you're left. if you woke up tomorrow at Dallas Fort Worth International Airport with a sign that said less guns, more affordable health care, you are left. <laughs> you would be a Democrat. Right. So, so, but if you woke up tomorrow in Norway, you're right, right? Because it's it's just it's just perspective. But the table was what was say. Look, left, right, Democrat, Republican, Labor, Liberal. Hey, you're this, you're that, what, whatever. You're you, you think this about Revelation? You think this about whatever? Hey, this is a place where everybody is accepted without having to affirm everything about them. And the church in the first 300 years nailed this. They nailed the ability to accept all people without affirming everything everybody does and asking, do you agree with me on every single thing? I, um, I got confronted the other day and, and I want to be honest with you. Like, uh, I, if, 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 I wish the whole world was like this guy, this guy confronted me. And I, I want to, first of all, he confronted me. Second of all, he didn't write an email to you know, Wayne Alcorn or something. He actually took the time, looked at my schedule, came to where I was, asked me for three minutes of my time after I was done, and he gave me the benefit of the doubt. And I thought, man, this guy's awesome, right? And he said, Shane, no one on earth has meant more to my faith than you. And he said, but I've heard a rumor about you recently and it greatly disturbs me and I'd like to ask you about it. Oh, okay. He said, I heard you did the national conference for the seventh day at Venice. I said, I did. He said, and I heard you did a Catholic thing in Sydney. I said, I did. I said, "While we're at it. I've done the ACC state conferences. I've done the national conference for the Assemblies of God in New Zealand. I've done the national conference for Equippers. I've been invited to the C3 national conference. I got canceled because of COVID. I like there's, I've done kingdom city stuff. Yeah, I've, I've done all these things. His response was, I knew it, man. And I said, now I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. Tell me why that bothers you. He said, because the person who's meant the most to my faith journey, turns out he doesn't believe anything. He just turns up wherever he is and just fits right in. And it makes me wonder, what do you actually believe? you know?" And I said, I'm not really following you. He said, do you agree with the seventh day Adventist? I said, man, I gotta be honest, I never asked that question. I've never asked once, do I agree with someone before I can relate to them? Not once ever. It's never crossed my mind once whether I agree with Mark and Nina, I just like them, right? <laughs> and they have a lot to teach me, like, agree, like agreements overrated, like we have to agree on every single thing. And so I said, I said to him, I said, what's there to disagree with? He said, Shane, they worship on Saturday. I said, I know, but that's not the most dangerous thing about them, the most dangerous thing about them is that they're vegans. I was there for four days. I ate 70,000 grams of fiber. I frankly got tired of wiping my butt, to be honest with you. I ate a brownie made of vegetables. That's what's dangerous. He said, Shane, no, seriously, where do you draw the line? I said, well, I think John gives us a great place to draw the line. He says to keep the command. The, The word keep is not does not mean to obey it means to guard or like a goalkeeper or keep my kid it means to protect and he said this is the command belief in jesus and love each other where do i draw the line belief in jesus and love for one another do the seventh day adventists believe in jesus yes do they love each other yes do they eat brownies made of vegetables yes and so what i'd be like like i wouldn't choose to do that as a lifestyle choice but nonetheless i'm sure it's healthier than what i've eaten right so, so it's, it's, it's this it's, it's this idea. The table was a technology we need to resurrect because here's what we've done. We've traded tables for tablets. And in a tablet community, you got to agree with everything. We've chosen rants over relationship. Like we, we've chosen to be right on the internet instead of like, like, like ch- church people hate cancel culture. Those weak, wimpy people who won't hear people out. Are you serious? The church is the original cancel culture. Like, All you have to do is say one thing somebody doesn't agree with and you get threatened to be canceled. The table says, no, 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 no. You don't have to be just like me for me to accept you. And and that was something that they mastered. It was to be fully known and fully accepted. The the big question is, what must I do to be fully known and fully accepted? Like, what do I got to do for this? And evidently, Jesus' answer was, I I just want to (laughs) eat. Like, how complicated can you make this? If Jesus can accept you without affirming everything about you, and we're supposed to show the world what Jesus is, can we not accept them without affirming everything about them? Plus, Jesus said, if you really want to change your world, you got to see yourself as the plank and them as the speck. We've reversed it. We've said, hey, we're flawed, but you're really flipping flawed. That's not how you do it. You got to see yourself as the plate. Now, a, a, quick, a, a quick two minutes of Bible nerddom here, okay? Here is a slide of, oh, hang on, I went too far. Here we go. So, Hebrew words are all related to the same letters, right? So, they, they, work, they work on three-letter roots. So, you have a shul, uh, a shul's a meal, and then you have a shulkan, that's a table, so this is a shulkan, and then you would eat a shul on a shulkan. But the problem is there's only 8,000 words in ancient Hebrew, so one word had to mean a lot of different things. So shulkan is table. Shulkan is also reconciliation without one-letter difference. There's not, a, not one letter. It means to be reconciled. Also, shulkan is a lambskin. The reason is, is that in Egypt they didn't have a table, so when they killed a lamb, they would wash the, uh, the lambskin in a picnic blanket. That was the original table. So like in Psalm, I think it's 81, it says, we all know it's the blood of a slain lamb that brings us reconciliation. You could easily translate that. When a lamb gets killed, we finally have a table to eat on, right? It, it, it could be either one. It, you, you don't know. And so translators have to decide based on context. Is the context an actual table or is it reconciliation? Also a related word is shalach. You can see where the S-H-L-C-H-N, S-H-L-C-H-N, S-H-L-C-H. They, they're all related words. Shalach is to forgive or to remove weight. In other words, the table was the place where you could lay aside the weight and get a clean slate. You lay aside the weight and get a clean slate. It was the place where you didn't have to agree in order to accept people. Today, we've traded it in. We've traded traded acceptance in for agreement on everything. We've traded the table in for a tablet where we rant instead of having relationship. It is uncompelling. And to Jesus, the table was primary, even over worship. Watch what Jesus says. This is Jesus, red letter stuff. Watch what he says. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First or primarily, go and be reconciled. The word Jesus would have used is table. First and go have a meal or be tabled to your brother, and then come back and offer your gift. In, in other words, what good does it do if you're worshiping God with all your heart if all the world sees us in conflict over basic disagreements about stuff? Like, that, that's the, to Jesus, the meal was primary. To Paul, it was even more primary. Check Paul's words out here. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Great, resurrection, rock, right? Watch this now. All this is from God, who... Reconciled us. The the idea in Paul's world would be tabled us or had a meal with us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The primary ministry of the church is the ministry of the table, a place where you're accepted without necessarily having to affirm everything about you. It's that. It's a place where you can be fully known and fully accepted while Jesus does all the work of convicting and changing your life. It's the it's the minute we've been given the ministry of the reconciliation that God was reconciling the whole world to himself in Christ by choosing not to count men's sins against them. In other words, the table was the technology where it's not that I'm ignoring your problem. I actually acknowledge it and then choose not to hold that against you and let's just eat. It's that. Can you imagine a world how much better it would be if we, instead of having to pass our opinion on every social issue on earth and everybody's private behavior and everything, it's like, no, no, no. It's not that I'm ignoring your sin. I'm just choosing not to count it against you because God didn't count mine against me and I just wanna eat. Can we accept people without affirming everything they do. Watch, watch, watch what happens. The God was reconciled the whole world and then not counting men's sins against them. And then he committed to us this same message of reconciliation. The primary message of the church is you're welcome at our table, whether we agree with everything you do or not. It's that. Can you imagine? Can I just save you a mental disorder later? Ready? There's no vacancy in the Trinity for any of us. If God is not convicting someone, either because he can't or because he's not, us trying to be the agent of conviction will drive us insane. Our job is to carry the ministry and message of reconciliation, which means we have a table that you can lay aside the weight and get a clean slate. Now, a little bit of rapid fire Bible stuff here. Ready? So I started to realize that this was a major theme in the Bible, the table. And once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. So in one minute, rapid fire sort of round. Here is Genesis to Revelation, the theme of the table. Check this out. So there's this guy named Abraham. And World War I's going on. Like if you read history, what we call World War I was actually probably World War 17, right? There there was always something going on. And in this story of Genesis, five kings are fighting four. That's called World War I. And they're all arguing over Abraham's resources. And Abraham's all anxious. And he runs into a guy named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek says, what's your problem? He says, I don't know whose side to choose. And Melchizedek has this revolutionary idea. He says, why choose a side at all? Why don't we just set a table and invite everybody to be reconciled? Tabled. Later, there's this guy named Jacob. And Jacob abuses the table. He uses something that was meant for reconciliation to trick his brother out of his birthright. And it's a terrible sort of thing. And he ends up, all kinds of stuff's happening. He ends up out with Laban and he falls in love with Laban's daughter. And he's like, she's pretty. He goes, awesome. He goes, listen, you gotta work for seven years and then you can have her. So he works for seven years. And then he ends up in the tent with the wrong chick, which leads to all kinds of questions like, how drunk do you have to be to work seven years and end up in the bed with the wrong girl, right? Unless she was a twin, which is a whole nother set of awesome. But nonetheless, she ends up, he ends up there. And then he ends up working another seven years. And then there's all this trickery and thievery. And what ends up happening is, is Jacob ends up running. Esau come, is coming one way. Laban's coming the other. And you have a conflict sandwich. And then at the end, instead of fighting in a family civil war, it says they spread out a table and they ate and they drank and they reconciled. Table, Psalm 23. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. If you're paying attention, that doesn't mean that God will feed you and not your enemies. It means if you're paying attention, God's always making a way for you to reconcile with people you don't get along with. <laughs> it's 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 that. And then of course there's this guy named David and Mephibosheth. So David, the short story is is that David was uh, taken over the kingdom and a nurse. Picks up this guy named Mephibosheth. Now, would you agree with me that if your mother named you Mephibosheth, you're gonna have issues anyway, right? Like, what were you thinking? You know, Mephibosheth. And who does that? Oh, he looks like a Mephibosheth. Like, like so. So the so the nurse the nurse picks him up and runs with him and and she falls on him and he breaks his legs and because medicine wasn't very advanced back then, uh, they couldn't fix his legs. So now he's crippled. And so David. Uh, is looking for any relative. Normally, you would want to kill them uh, because they're potential heirs, but, but, but he doesn't. He invites this guy, Mephibosheth, uh, to his table. Watch, watch what he says. Um, where did my Mephibosheth scripture go? Here's what it says. It says, um, uh, don't be afraid. This is 2 Samuel 9. David asked him, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of, my fa- of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you'll always be welcome at my table. Um, oh, thank you. If, um, and then, yeah, oh, sorry. I'm stuffing this up. My bad. Uh, very sensitive. And then there's this guy named Joseph. <laughs> and then there's this guy... So there was this guy named Abraham had a son named Isaac who had a son named Jacob who had 12 children, 12 sons. And 11 of the 12 sons sold their brother Joseph into slavery um, only to later need him to save their sorry rear ends out of a famine. And and, and then the whole role's reversed and Joseph has all the power and he he works out who they are and they work out who he is. And it's this really tense moment um, that takes place at a table. (laughs) And um, Joseph has a choice. He can use his power to take revenge and kill them or he can use his power... Uh, to serve the food and reconcile. And, And what you see in all of these stories is despite not affirming what they did, all these people were able to accept them as people and that is something that we got to get right. It, like, just because you accept somebody doesn't mean you have to affirm everything they do, nor does accepting somebody mean you necessarily affirm everything they do. Um, it, it's, it's, it, watch what happens here. He, and then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brothers, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and he wept there. Then he washed his face and he came out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food instead of cut their throat. Like I, I know, and he actually, if you read the story, he doesn't gloss over it. I know what you did. I know you intended evil. I know you had malice in your heart, and what you did was wicked, and it caused me a lot of pain. But despite that, I still accept you. That is inspiring. Yeah. Uh, of course, then you have um, you have Passover, which is weird, right? We've had a Passover here. Remember, years ago we did. Um, Passover is strange because God hasn't said anything for 400 years, and then His first command is eat together. Bizarre. Hey, like before you get out there, there's gonna be all kinds of problems. Whatever you have against each other in here, be sure to leave it on the table before we get out there. And look, I, I don't wanna um, in any way come across like I'm speaking down, but nor do I want to um, assume you know something you don't know. So uh, this morning, uh, we did something called communion. And communion is a regular celebration of Passover that Jesus was doing with his disciples, okay? Okay. And I just want to point this out, right? Who did Jesus serve communion to? Judas. And he didn't gloss over it. He said, you are going to betray me. I know what you're up to. And I don't affirm that. But despite not affirming what your actions are, I still accept you. What an incredible message of the table. I was in a QA and a the other day, um, and uh, it was a pretty big church, and somebody asked me, they said, Shane, our church serves communion to children. I didn't hear the question, so I just waited. And I said, what's your question? And she said, is that okay? I'm like, look, I'll hear you out. I just don't know why that wouldn't be Okay. And she, she was good-hearted. She wasn't like, she just was the way she was raised. She said, well, you can't serve it to children. They can't take it with reverence. And according to the Bible, they could die. Okay, first of all, Um, That's Homer Simpson hermeneutics. That's first. Um, Secondly, um, in context, taking communion in an unworthy manner was the rich eating the the food first and then leading the leftovers for the poor, which missed the whole point of the table. That's number two. Uh, So I just just said to her, "Um, ma'am, seriously, I'm not following you here. Jesus served communion to Judas. And you're looking to exclude who? Children? See, in all these stories something was going on that someone wasn't glossing over. It's like, no, 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 you meant it for evil. No, 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 you're gonna betray me. But despite me not affirming that, I can still accept you. That's the technology of the table. Or, or you've got the wilderness, right? So remember they get out, the same group of people, they get out into the wilderness. And if you remember the story, not too long after the wilderness, what do they do? They make an idol of gold with a gold cow, right? And so this is like, oh man. And, and, and you would expect God to lose the plot, like you would expect, oh my goodness, but watch this, watch what happens. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. And under his feet was something like a table, shulkan, made of sapphire, clears the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and they drank and they did not die. In other words, I see what you're doing and I don't affirm it. But I can still accept you, despite not affirming everything about you. God's response to their idol worship was, you want to eat? You done with yourself? Would you like to eat? Of course, one of their big problems with Jesus was that he ate with tax collectors and sinners. Here's, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like, why would he do that? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy more than your sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. In other words, Jesus sat with people that he would not affirm their behavior, but he accepted them in order to have a relationship that would one day lead to redemption. It's the technology of the table. It's, it's that, or, or of course, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Remember the disciple says, what's our ministry to these people? He goes, you give them food, like accept them. Or one of my personal favorites is the, is the Canaanite woman, right? There are, uh, by the way, she was from Sidon. She was a Sidonian or a Sidonite. And by the way, there were eight, eight, eight. That's a lot. Eight verses in the Bible that says God always hates Sidonites. He curses them. He can't stand them. In one, prophet, in one prophet named Ezekiel, it says that if God ever encountered the Sidonites, he would kill them and strip them naked and leave them ashamed of their nudity on the, on the street. But, but when God actually encountered the Sidonite in Christ, he doesn't treat them as less than. He prays for them. He calls them faithful. And there's this odd exchange where they had a word for the Sidonites, dogs. Dogs. It was a it was a racial slur. It it be like it's a terrible word, right? You just would never use it, right? And and there's this interesting exchange between she. She says, "I want to eat at the table, but I know I can't because I'm a dog." And then Jesus goes, oh, well, you know, you can't give food to, but he doesn't use, it it says dog, but in Greek it says, um, ah, you're a cute little puppy. (laughs) It was like, it was a comedy sort of this exchange. And she goes, but can I at least have the scraps and and, and watch what happens? It it says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. In, In other words, Jesus could overlook something about her in order to accept her for a redemptive relationship. It's the table, it's the table. Or one of his famous table talks was, he was with these rich people and they finished their meal and they're like, ah, there's so much left over, we don't know what to do. And Jesus goes, there's a lot of poor people outside your gate, do you not know what to do? And they said, no, we don't know what to do. (laughs) And Jesus said, let me try again. Why don't we give it to the poor? And, and remember what they said? Yeah. We don't eat with people like that. Why? Because in their culture, eating was saying you're okay, right? And Jesus, is that, is that your final answer? You're, you're going to play this elitist game? Is your, your final answer, you don't eat with people you see as less than you? Yes, yes. Let me tell you a few stories. The kingdom of God's like a shepherd with a hundred sheep and you always go outside the gate to get them or a lady with a lost coin or a guy with a lost son. And even though the son did something horrible, the father without affirming what he did still cooked him a meal and welcomed him. He accepted him home without affirming all of his actions. Oh, oh by the way, there's, there's a rich guy. And when he overlooks poor people outside of his gate, when he dies, he's the one that goes to hell. <laughs> the only time Jesus ever said someone went to hell ever was a rich man refusing to share food with the poor. It was a violation of the table. Or the Lord's Prayer, give me today my bread. In other words, Father, make sure I always have the resources to make it right. And by the way, I just learned this, so you're gonna learn it with me. Um, it's, it's a terrible translation. Um, give us today our daily bread. Uh, the word daily is not there. I can tell you, I can read Greek, it's not there. The word is epiupsios which is tomorrow. So, so I get translated like today, tomorrow, the next day. But what Jesus actually said was, Father, give me today tomorrow's bread. In other words, let's say it this way. Father, give me a supply today that removes my fear of lack of supply tomorrow. Because until we're set free from the fear of lack, we're not free. Um, <laughs> uh, or John 21. Um, remember, remember Peter has denied him three times. And um, and Jesus' response to his denial was not to overlook the denial or affirm the denial or just pretend, no, no, no. Despite not affirming Peter's denial, what was Jesus' response? You wanna come and eat breakfast? Are you ready to be reconciled? It's all over the place. It's even in how the Bible ends. This is Revelation 19. And the angel, sorry, I went one too much. Here we go. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree was for the healing of the nation. In Revelation 19, the whole invitation ends with Come, be invited to the marriage supper. Of the, lamb. the thing begins with a table, ends with a table, and everything in the middle is about God inviting people to his table where they can be accepted without necessarily being affirmed for everything they do, knowing that the redemptive relationship of God can change their life. And if Jesus did that for us, aren't we supposed to be doing that for the world? And when the church feels the pressure to be known for every single little flag we wanna put in the ground, Instead of our belief in Jesus as evidenced by our love for the world, we violate the table. And when we violate the table, listen, please, if we don't get this right, we're going to miss an opportunity. The table's a technology that allows good-hearted people to fully accept someone not like them. Paul says it this way in Romans 15, quote, Accept people not like you, for this is part of your worship to God. We have to get this right. Now, great sermons aren't meant to be agreed with or disagreed with. They're meant to be wrestled with. So let's wrestle with a few questions. When's the last time you responded to the Lord's knocking? See, our tendency when we hear something like this is, man, I wish such and so was here to hear this. Okay, maybe. But actually, let's see ourselves as the plank for a second. And when's the last time I responded to God's knocking? What are we scared of? We're actually most of the time scared that God's like us. Like if I were God, I'd be really hard on me. But God's not like us. Evidently, he just wants to eat. He he doesn't want to fix everything. He just wants to eat. Um, Let's say it this way. Are you committed to the reconciliation of all things? Or just your own salvation? I love the way Isaiah says it. It's but a light thing to be saved. The heavier matter is to be my salvation to the whole world. Paul said that we've been given the ministry of the table, the ministry of the reconciliation of all things. Who have we excluded from our table because we disagree with them? Oh, you're labor, okay. You're a liberal, okay. You're Republican. You're di- Look, if you think Jesus Christ is a Republican, I think you've missed the point. If you think Jesus Christ wants us to all own guns, you know, bust a cap, said Christ. Like, no, come on. Like, like I, I, think, I, I think that misses the, the, the point. That the table should be open. Let's say it this way. Maybe we could ask it this way. Who do you need to cook breakfast for? Is there anyone who you cannot affirm their actions towards you, but you could take a step of faith and invite them to a meal and accept them? The theme all through scripture was, I don't affirm what you just did, but I'm welcoming you to my table. It was God's response to idolatry. It was Jesus's response to Peter. And it's the ministry of the table we've all been entrusted with. So my brothers and sisters of Emerge, let's resurrect the ministry and message of the table. A place where people can lay aside the weight and get a clean slate. The opposite of the table, is the tablet. When we choose rants over relationship, calling people out with no relationship, weaponizing scripture against people who have no emotional connection to scripture. Ah! This is the technology that allows us not to affirm everything, but still accept the person. And my question is, who do we need to cook breakfast on the beach for? Two prayers. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Um, Lord Jesus, let no one ever reject you because of the way I'm presenting you. If you're willing to pray that from your heart, why don't you just pray that underneath your breath? Lord Jesus, let no one ever reject you because of the way I'm presenting you. Second prayer is, who do I need to accept? Instead of being known, let's say it this way, instead of being known for my lack of affirmation of their behavior, who do I need to be known for my acceptance of? Who do I need to invite to my table? Would you give me the grace to do that? Third prayer, let Emerge Church be a place of reconciliation. If you're willing to pray that and say, I'm willing to do my part for merged Church to be a place of reconciliation. We say yes to the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Would you look this way? Thanks so much to be a part of your night. I hope Jesus got bigger, the cross worked better, the resurrection is central scriptures got bigger, not smaller. May we all say yes to the charge of being trusted with the ministry of reconciliation. May we say yes to resurrecting the technology of the table, a place where we can accept everybody without feeling the pressure of affirming everything about them. May we let God do all the convicting and all the changing, knowing that our call, is the ministry of the table. Until I see you next time, grace and peace, everybody.